This is Weekly Dose of Wellness, brought to you by Memorial Care Health System. Here's Deborah Howell. Welcome. This is Melanie Cole filling in for Deborah Howell today. Abdominal aortic aneurysms are relatively common and are potentially life-threatening. Aneurysms can develop slowly over many years and often with no symptoms. My guest to tell us about those today is Dr. Rahul Sharma. He's a vascular surgeon with Memorial Care Saddleback Medical Center and South Orange County Surgical Medical Group. Dr. Sharma, what is an abdominal aortic aneurysm and do we know what causes them? Yeah, uh, well... Thanks for having me, Melanie. I appreciate it, and uh, good morning to all those listening. Um, so, yeah, so uh, abdominal aortic aneurysm um, technically is a dilation of a blood vessel that's greater than 50% of what it should normally be. So when we're talking about abdominal aortic aneurysm specifically, um, in the majority of the population, the size is about 2 centimeters. So 50% greater than that is 3 centimeters. So anyone who has an aneurysm or a blood vessel that is greater than 3 centimeters, we consider that aneurysmal. Um, there are different types of aneurysms. And for this, just uh, just to stay on topic here, um, involves all the layers of the actual blood vessel. So who would be most at risk for abdominal aortic aneurysms? So there are a handful of patients uh, and, and the general population that we look at um, the things that put people at risk, at least the modifiable factors in life, is smoking. And I and I can't say it enough, and I'm sure you'll hear me say it over and over again, is smoking, smoking, smoking. Um, in terms of the things that you can control in life, that is one of the biggest factors. Uh, the other things that do contribute, um, of course, being older age and people living longer, that's effective. Um, uh, also, being a male, um, have more um, risk for having an aneurysm. Caucasian males, um, having hardening of your artery, high blood pressure, and actually even family history of having an aneurysm, um, either in the abdomen or even in other locations in the leg or in the groin, um, can put you at risk for having this also. Surprisingly, there is actually a decreased risk uh, for patients who have diabetes, um, non-white, and uh, females. So typically it is male and elderly generation. And again, just because I said it before, I'll say it again people who smoke cigarettes. So as as we said also in the intro, sometimes there's no symptoms. So would somebody, would there be anything that somebody would know about? And how is it diagnosed if it's asymptomatic? Is it something that a physician might catch when they're looking for something else or doing a test for something else? What would we notice? Right. Well, actually, that, that's exactly it, Melanie. Um, it, most of the time, Patients don't have any symptoms at all, and they're find they're found either by really good physical exam um, or just incidental finding um, patients who have belly pain or who are having tests for something else. Um, that's really how we typically find them. Um, so that it's kind of it's lurking beneath the surface. Typically, what we tell people when we find it is that hey, look, this didn't sprout up overnight. It's kind of an unrealized risk that you have, but now that we know it. Here's how we manage it. Um, there are a few scenarios in which patients would have symptoms um, because it's not they're not all uh, asymptomatic. But the patients who have symptoms, either if it's a rapid growing aneurysm, um, they can they can cause pain, and typically that pain is in the abdomen uh, on the front, or even in the back, or on the flank. So 
anything like that with a history of aneurysm or if the patients are in the ER, it becomes concerning because that becomes one of the higher uh, or the highest acuity um, diagnoses that should be identified and treated right away. But again, like you said, uh, most of the time it, it's without symptoms, um, and we do find these incidentally all the time. Then let's talk about treatment options, Dr. Sharma. So are treatment options always emergent? Are they always surgical? Or sometimes is it a medicational intervention or a watch and wait? Tell us about how you determine the treatment options for a patient. So typically, once we identify that the patients have this, um, everything is a risk and benefit in terms of the medical uh, field, especially in regards to surgery. Um, so we balance the risks of surgery with the risks of uh, just waiting and watching. So for men, um, it's been generally accepted that five and a half centimeters is the diameter at which you would offer treatment because at that diameter, the risk of rupture um, exceeds the risk of surgery. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, aneurysms bigger than that uh, will be will rupture or they'll be okay and something smaller won't, but it's all about risk assessment um, for the patient and then assessing what they will go under if they have to have surgery. In terms of uh, females, uh, for them, it's five centimeters is, is kind of the number. But then again, it's also individualized to the patient. So if the patient has a rapidly growing aneurysm, um, that is of concern to us also. And of course, any diameter with symptoms uh, we typically treat. And then I guess going from there, in terms of the treatments that we offer, um, the last, let's say, almost 20 years, or a little longer, actually, we've been doing a lot of these procedures by minimally invasive methods, which are only getting better over time. Um, and these are done through small incisions in the groin, um, where we navigate the stents and the grafts inside the patient, uh, almost like lining a tire from the inside to, to fix a bubble on the tire to, or to repair a hole. Um, and so that's, that's a good majority of how we um, do these procedures today. Um, our One of my partners, actually, it was one of the first to do uh, something called a fenestrated graft in Southern California. And um, so these are advancing rapidly. Um, and there is, of course, the old school open surgical repair, uh, which takes a little more investment from the patients. We certainly have to ensure that their body and their physiology is able to undergo a large operation. Um, but these are good, durable procedures, and for the right patient, um, it can be the right procedure. Um, so typically, we discuss options with patients so that there's full transparency, so they understand how the uh, preoperative course will go and how the post-op course will go. But uh, yeah, so there's, there's a mixture of things, and uh, they're both good, durable options. What's recovery like? If you have to do one of those procedures, then is the person's, because I think, doctor, one of the big things with an aneurysm such as this is the anxiety that the person might have that this could rupture or cause issues. So if you've done one of those procedures afterward, do they still have to be worried or about a recurring one? Do they still have to be anxious? Yeah, no, those are, those are great questions. I think uh, from from the time that we meet the patients, from the very first visit, we kind of establish what, you know, again, has the realized or unrealized uh, risk that they've been living with. Um, and then we kind of give them an idea. So for a five and a half centimeter um, aneurysm, uh, that's the risk of rupture for there is anywhere from five to 11% per year. 
So when you couple that with, hey, surgery has this risk of one to one to two percent, then you can kind of see where things are going to go. So when we do these procedures um, by the endovascular means or the minimally invasive means, um, they still do do require maintenance. It's just like a car; you can't just take it in one time for oil change. Kind of has to have these things maintained. Um, so what we do over time, once the stents and the grafts are placed, we do. Uh, continue um, surveillance on these things because they're, it's a dynamic process. It can move, it can shift, um, and the whole purpose for doing these procedures is to reduce or to eliminate the risk of rupture for these patients. So certainly, um, again, with counseling, starting from the very first time we encounter uh, this uh, disease with patients, we let them know that it's not something where you get this fixing right off into the sunset, something that does take uh, a team approach between the patient and the, the physician, um, and that we do have to monitor these over time to make sure that there's no complications. But they, typically, at least for the endovascular um, arm of, of treatment, uh, these patients come in you know, one day in the morning or in the afternoon. Um, procedure can take anywhere from an hour to a few hours. Um, and typically, as long as they do well and, and they're without um, pain and discomfort and they can eat, typically our patients go home the following day within about 24 hours from the time of the surgery. If you were to undergo a larger open uh, surgery, um, this can take, again, a little more investment from the patient, um, which can take anywhere from five days in the hospital to a week and sometimes more, barring that there's no complications. Um, but again, it, we, we look at these things and say, hey, look, uh, again, it's nothing that you just have and you walk away. Um, but the main thing is alleviating the risk of rupture um, and, of course, the anxiety that's coupled with that for the patient. So wrap it up for us then, Dr. Sharma, with your best advice, if there's anything that people can do to prevent abdominal aortic aneurysm and what you would like the take-home message to be today. Uh, well, I think, you know, I said it earlier and I'll say it again. Is if, if there's those things in life you can control, you should control them. Uh, and we do have good evidence uh, that smoking is, is one of the highest things and the higher, highest risk things that you can control and modify to, to stop the growth of aneurysms. Um, even for the patients that we look for, um, if you've ever been a smoker and you're a male and you're greater than 65 years old, um, you should have screening to make sure that you don't have an aneurysm. Um, and, and there's other risk factors such as high, high blood pressure, hardening of the arteries. Um, so when you have any of these things to be comfortable and if you, if this sounds like you, you discuss with your primary care physician and let them know, um, at least you, so you can have the surveillance. And then from there, you know, it's, it's, we walk patients who are comfortable with the decisions we can carry, carry on that relationship forward from there. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Sharma, and sharing your expertise and explaining abdominal aortic aneurysm so very well for us. Thank you again. You're listening to Weekly Dose of Wellness. For more information or to listen to more podcasts in these series, please visit memorialcare.org. That's memorialcare.org. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for tuning in.